The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Well, would you look at you all. Just shivering and chilled to the bone, you make me wish I was outside enjoying the storm. Our friend here has been injured. Oh, fight with a jealous lover? Nothing quite so salacious, madam. Is there a doctor present? The doctor is meditating in his chambers, and I will get him for you while you fill out these forms. There's one constant about every America we visit. Yeah, the healthcare system always sucks. Welcome everyone, it is Thursday, August 3rd, 2017. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. What do Donald Trump and Bill Cosby have in common? There's a question for you. Well, more than you might think. And at their commonality lies the common way in which the establishment media has been delivering the narrative on each of these two individual stories, their actions and their motivations, and then prejudging each of them without knowing all the facts, or worse, as seems to be the case in both circumstances, without wanting to know the facts and the real story and perhaps even hiding a lot of it. The other thing that they have in common is that both Trump and Bill Cosby are under direct political attack by the left. You know, that evil side of the political polarity we've been discussing over the past few weeks? (laughs) But before we begin, don't forget that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, every past Just Right broadcast. In the wake of all the shakeups at the White House over the past week, the consequences of last week's failure of the attempted changes to Obamacare have almost gone unnoticed, and I think they were very significant at the core of that part of Obamacare that Trump wanted to replace was the provision that forces Americans to buy private health care insurance plans, or in the absence of doing so, face the wrath of the IRS. You know, this is amazing. This is politics. This is not medicine, nor is it health care. And so in keeping with our established and demonstrated political terms of the past few weeks, bear in mind And I've said this before on the show in exactly these words, that Obamacare is a fascist piece of legislation. It's not like the Canadian health care system. So those of you living in Ontario who think that Obamacare is anything like what you get in OHIP, it is not. It forces private individuals to spend their private money on private insurance companies to reach a socialist end. Health insurance for everyone, right? Not health care, health insurance. <laughs> Here in Ontario, we don't have a fascist health care system. We have a communist one. We have what is called a single-payer system, which means that only the government is allowed to pay the patient's doctor or hospital. Now, between Obamacare and our monstrous system, I would still pick ours, because at least then 
the injustice is spread evenly around to everyone. <laughs> but here in Ontario, as everywhere else, socialism, which means state ownership and control, cannot operate without fascism, which means state control of private contract and choice. That's why censorship is so often considered fascist. It's obvious that that's what it is. You're controlling an individual's point of view. But people don't see it in relationship to many of the other issues that are just daily events in their lives. Here in Ontario, private citizens are prohibited from purchasing private health insurance that covers the same medical conditions as the government covers. How about that? So think about it. The American fascists force their citizens to buy insurance and Canadian fascists prohibit their citizens from buying private insurance. See how it can work in any direction? The point is not what they force you to do. The point is that they force you to do it and you have no choice. That's what makes fascism, socialism, and communism all the same. They deprive individuals of choice. Isn't that a fundamental right? Isn't that a fundamental freedom? Oh, not when you get something for nothing. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know I'm using those bad words again. Socialist, fascist, communist. But these are the forces that Donald Trump is facing, even within his own camp. Ironic that the left was constantly accusing Trump of acting like a fascist. Remember that? They were using that word on Trump. It's okay when they use it. But look who's against a fascist policy and who's for it in this case. Remember... All state-funded something-for-nothing schemes, no matter how justified or how altruistic or moralistic they, come, they start at first, they end up being Ponzi schemes. Find me an exception. Pyramid schemes that instead force the burden of today's funding on future generations. You know? and, and they will experience rapidly diminishing services for their extra efforts and payments that they will have to make. This is pretty well where Ontario is today. We're paying a lot of money for very little. What begins as an apparent something-for-nothing scheme always ends up being a nothing-for-something scheme. Ontario's much-touted OHIP, single-payer system of health care, is turning into a disaster. It's worse and worse every day, and fewer and fewer people are getting health care. And let me tell you, from personal experience, it depresses me to no end. All around me, I see people who I know are chronically suffering. My friends, my relatives, members of my family. And they visit their doctors and hospitals, all under the state government monopoly. They get very limited attention. I'm, I'm talking about chronic conditions. People screaming in pain. People near death. They get no information, no follow-ups, no tests and checkups, unless you call them over and over again to get the results of whatever they did. Our hospitals are overcrowded. And what's missing in Ontario is not health care. we got lots of that. What we don't have is what we're supposed to have. Sick care. Care for those who are sick. There are plenty of services for the healthy. This is all they talk about up here. Listen to our government, you know. And plenty of ways to get preventative medicine, which is a way of saying, you know, of never having to say you actually cured anything and yet still claim credit for a patient's health, right? It's a con. You can't prevent something that you didn't know for sure would happen, right? What is needed is sick care for those who are no longer healthy. But that's not what socialized health care schemes are designed for. And the so-called father of socialized medicine in Canada, Tommy Douglas himself, 
warned Canadians of exactly that. He said, look, if you're going to want this plan and you're planning to use it to take care of sick people, it is not possible. You will go bankrupt. So what he said we'll have to do is we'll have to have a health care system so that we'll prevent people from getting sick and we won't have to spend money on people getting sick. That is the idiotic plan behind the whole thing. And Freedom Party of Ontario ran an ad playing Tommy Douglas saying just that. You think anybody listens? No. All Canadians heard was, oh, something for nothing? <laughs> and what, that they'd never even get sick? Under some kind of illusion of preventative medicine paid for by the state? I'm telling you, time doesn't stop. You're going to get old. You're going to get sick. Accidents happen. By the way, the reason that health care appears to suck everywhere, as was alluded to in our opener today, is because most people don't like to pay for it. They don't really value it for all their talk. Even when it's affordable. We're not talking about when it's unaffordable. We could have a great health care system. We could actually have something that would be like an insurance plan. OHIP was never an insurance plan. That was a fraud. It was a something-for-nothing scheme, transferring wealth from some people to others. It was not an insurance plan. You didn't have an account. Nobody invested any money for you. Doctors and medical professionals, for the most part, like to hear about socialist government health care plans because they think it'll guarantee that they'll get paid for their services and not have patients who can't afford the cost of their services or who simply won't pay. But as they soon discover, he who pays the piper calls the tune. And the next thing you know, doctors are no longer professionals, but civil servants with every negative thing that implies. And people who are going to the doctors today know what I'm talking about. Oh, I'll tell you. Well, I'm sure what doctors hate the most is medical payment plans like this one. I'll bet that the sorcerer could help. Now, he wouldn't see you, of course, but still, you can get some of his miracle balm at the marketplace. So who's this sorcerer? How dare you mention that charlatan in my presence. Thanks to the sorcerer, my practice is half what it was. Just pay your bill and go! As for you, my dear, you may stay. $266 for what? Your friend's headache's gone. Service is rendered. You know, actually, I do feel better. That's beside the point. We don't have this kind of money. Given the fraudulent nature of this man's claims, I suggest a response that harkens back to our childhoods. Run! Run like hell! Fools! I'm gonna bring a thousand When I saw it on Friday, just as I was starting to poke my head back into the news in a major way, I see the headline, Donald Trump considering pardoning himself. I thought, <laughs> Do you know, i got to ask Ken and Lisa if the world's gone crazy. Well, it's just he's, he's the gift that keeps on giving. He tweeted on the weekend about how Republicans aren't um, saving him or propping him up or protecting him. That was the word. Republicans are protecting their president. And people tweeted back, Dude, you're supposed to be protecting us. Yeah. You know, like that's not how it works. So I don't know. But really, does this? Uh, I mean, the the prospect of Donald Trump uh, pardoning himself does does that surprise you? Does anything he this man does now, Andy, shock you at this point? 
Well, we had a family picnic on the weekend, and we got into a lively discussion, which we had to park so that we could have a lovely family picnic. <laughs> and I, I, I suppose that's happening. Uh, I mean, could could Trump, uh, you know, embarrass us all and go on to be the greatest president ever? Uh, I suppose. I suppose if he doesn't start a war or a, a recession or a depression, and uh, but what has he given us? He's given us a judge, I suppose, if uh, his supporters. What else is he? Is he given? Is the economy better? Uh, do people have health care? Uh, is there hope? I see where the uh, carrier plant in Indianapolis is now cutting hundreds of jobs, which Donald said was not going to happen. So. I don't know. I I'm, know. Trying, I'm trying to find a reason to come back this morning and rock and roll and be happy and give people hope, but it's tough. That conversation between CJBKM 1290 radio talk show hosts Lisa Brandt, Ken Eastwood, and Andy Udman was aired on the morning of July 24th and is typical of the kind of talk that I think is devoid of content and packed with anti-Trump sentiment. And it was a milder case of how they usually sound, let me tell you. What's interesting is that Ken and Lisa quite correctly describe themselves as being on the left, but Andy Utman would most likely be seen as someone on the right, and ironically is most often in agreement with his leftist counterparts, particularly on the issues that we are covering today. So what has Donald Trump given us? Just listen to the rapid-fire list of things Trump has accomplished or set into motion, as was related by Salim Mansour the last time he appeared on the show. Is the economy better? Yes. In the United States, and one plant cutting jobs does not make a case for or against economic improvement. Do people have health care? Well, in light of what we just discussed, that's certainly not Donald Trump's fault. And I've heard all three of them constantly question the sanity or honesty of Donald Trump. So this brings me to my next item of concern. On July 29th, just past, our Michael Warren had a full-page opinion piece that appeared in the London Free Press that is possibly one of the sleaziest pieces of puke-dripping editorials I have ever had the pleasure to bring to your attention of just how bad our mainstream media can actually get when it comes to the subject of President Donald Trump. And the headline reads, here's a full-page commentary page, Unfit for office? Check. And he writes, Donald J. Trump has been president of the U.S. for six months. Many hoped he'd become more presidential thoughtful and strategic once he assumed office. But what we saw during the campaign has continued during his presidency, and Trump is not going to change. So how does Donald J. Trump rate on, well, the crazy checklist, that's what they call it. <laughs> so here's one of the categories. There's about 16 of them. Glib and super superficial charm. His Twitter feed is awash with random statements about policy and people. He's charmed his way into the hearts and heads of many Americans with the glib promise to make a America great again. Well, as we've already learned, none of his statements are random. He has a purpose behind every one. And yes, he's earned the support of many people. But to do that, that's two points proving that he's crazy. Grandiose self-worth. People love, love me. And you know what? I've been very successful. This rates two points in the crazy scale, because leftists hate success, earn pride, they hate intelligence, irrespective of who, of who they think possesses those qualities. Trump seeks stimulation and is prone to boredom. He's also prone to making allegations to stimulate a reaction. 
an, an extremely credible source has called my office and told me Barack Obama's birth certificate is a fraud, end quote, is what he quotes Trump saying. And for, for saying that, Trump gets two points in the crazy scale. Well, of course, as you've heard on this show, Obama's birth certificate is a fraud. It's a fake. Everybody knows that. It's, it's not an issue, though. On at least two, if not more, occasions on this show, Robert Vaughn was able to go to the White House website where Obama's birth certificate is located, download it yourself, it's a PDF, I believe, and you can de deconstruct it, put it into the program. You can see even the, the parts of it and wh what the original name was. Pathological lying. Well, where to start? Of course, everybody calls Trump a liar because they see him tweeting signals that are not meant to be taken literally, though some are. And that's what leaves the whole thing so interesting. And he says, the Pulitzer Prize-winning website PolitiFact maintains 69% of his campaign and presidential statements are mostly false. And that's for two points. Well, false, you should hear how they describe what false is. Here again, the left is playing the fact game. Remember, we talked about this in great detail, using facts to hide the truth and to hide the real story. Here's one. Lack of remorse, guilt. Following the shooting at an LGBTQ nightclub in Orlando that left 49 dead and 53 wounded, the shooter claimed allegiance to the Islamic State. Rather than show remorse and empathy, Trump tweeted, quote, appreciate the congrats for being right on Islamic terrorism. I don't want congrats. I want toughness and vigilance. Two points in the crazy in the scale for him writing that. Well, I thought that was a very appropriate thing to say at the time, so I guess I'm crazy too. Parasitic lifestyle. Trump has a history of exploiting others by bankrupting his companies, etc., etc. And he says he, that he's doing this to avoid paying contractors and suppliers. Business people declare bankruptcy to prevent further losses, not to rip off suppliers. And usually what they're doing is restructuring their debt and taking control of other factors to get control of the situation again so they can carry on in business and do pay their suppliers at least what they can. Poor behavioral controls. Trump may have a form of ADHD, and that's how they explain Trump's early morning tweets. That's two points on the craziness scale. Promiscuous sexual behavior. At least 12 women claim they were sexually harassed by Trump. He claims he's the victim. Two points. Well, odds are it's Trump who's telling the truth. Lack of realistic goals. He won the presidency by advancing questionable values and a host of unrealistic promises, such as building a wall that Mexico will pay for, stopping Muslims from entering the country, paying off the national debt, increasing military spending, and cutting taxes. Two points on the craziness scale. <laughs> questionable values? Putting America first? Come on. Failure to accept ownership for one's actions, and he talks about Trump's response to the Syrian gas attack called the Russian hack a hoax and then blamed Obama the same day. Two points. Well, Trump blamed Obama because it was Obama's previous policies that led to the circumstances up to that issue. We've discussed all this on the past, too. And then impulsivity. The late Wayne Barrett, a distinguished American journalist, wrote a 1992 book about Trump. In it, he said, quote, Donald just has no interest in information. He has no genuine interest in policy. He operates by impulse, end quote. And two points for that one, too. We'll talk about journalistic crap. <laughs> no, Trump has an agenda. He has a goal. If a fact doesn't fit his agenda, then he deals with it. <laughs> it's, it's how you look at facts. Short-term marital relationships. How terrible. He's been married three times. <laughs> so he concludes, by my reckoning, Trump already scores 34 out of 40. 
quote, I'm not a qualified examiner, so you have every right to question my conclusion that President Trump is a psychopath. However, there are more than 25,000 signatures on a U.S. petition which say, we, the undersigned health professionals, believe in our professional judgment that Donald J. Trump manifests serious mental illness that renders him psychologically incapable of competently discharging his duties as President of the United States, end quote. It goes on to ask he be removed from office. It seems I'm not alone, ends Michael Warren's article. Oh, Lord. No, you're not alone, which is frightening. And I see that the left conducts psychiatric assessments the same way it conducts global climate science, by majority votes taken in. <laughs> Consider the sheer hypocrisy of the author of this piece of crap, Michael Warren, who has been Ontario's past deputy minister, Toronto Transit Commission chief general manager, and Canada Post CEO, all government-run, government-funded money losers in every way, shape, and form that do not deliver their, their services. So look who's calling who what. Now, on the other side of the Trump is crazy coin, I'd like to thank listener Arthur M. for forwarding this far more rational assessment of Trump's mental status. And this came from a psychiatrist, Dr. Keith Ablo. Quote, Let me assure the standard disclaimer of psychiatrists who discuss the mental health of public figures, I have not personally examined President Trump. Now, let me put to rest the concerns of Senator Al Franken and political commentators John Oliver and Andrew Sullivan and anyone else who publicly or privately has questioned the president's sanity. Donald Trump is stone cold sane. When a man acquires billions of dollars through complex real estate transactions, invests in many countries, goes on to phenomenal success in television, and turns his name into a worldwide brand, it's very unlikely that he's mentally unstable. When the same man obviously enjoys the love and respect of his children and his wife, who seem to rely on him for support and guidance, it is extraordinarily unlikely that he is mentally unstable. When the same man walks into the political arena and deftly defeats 16 Republican opponents and then the Democratic heir apparent to a two-term presidential administration, the odds of that man being mentally unstable become vanishingly thin. And when that same man attracts to his team the kind of intellect and gravitas represented, to name just a few, by Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Dr. Ben Carson, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Secretary of Defense James Mathis, a retired Marine Corps General and Commander of the U.S. General Central Command, he cannot be mentally deranged, period. It is a statistical impossibility. Those who assert otherwise are political opportunists, or fools, or both. And I am thinking here, in particular, of Senator Franken. President Trump is the first human being to win this nation's highest office without having held any other political office or serving as a general. Most political pundits thought his quest was pure folly. Most journalists assessed his chances at zero. So who was laboring under quasi-delusional thinking? Answer, not Donald J. Trump. Now, moving from one media train wreck to another, we are going to revisit an issue we haven't commented on directly for nearly two years in the wake of the recent June court trial involving Bill Cosby. And there is simply no way in a single show to possibly convey the whole story about the Cosby issue and his accusers that the media is not telling anyone. But what I can do in the course of today's show is summarize for you all of the key points that keep getting misrepresented or misinterpreted on arguments related to the Cosby case. We last left our 
discussion on Cosby with the news that a judge had unsealed a deposition made by him in a previous out-of-court settlement with Andrea Konstad, who was his accuser in the criminal trial jury just ended in a hung trial. And so to remind us of just how this issue was being presented in the popular media, let's go back two years, almost to the day actually, what we're about to hear was originally aired July 28, 2015 on CJBK AM radio in London, Ontario, following the release of the New Yorker magazine with the stories of several of Cosby's accusers inside. Now what you're about to hear on this side of the upcoming bumper is probably as powerful an indictment of Bill Cosby as you might hear anywhere, presented in a very reasonable and logical manner by a talk show host and commentator for whom I have a great deal of respect and with whom I've spoken often, and that's Tom McConnell. Now, Tom's got most of his facts right here, at least as far as he knows them, but he hasn't got the story. On the other side of the bumper, aired on the same station, but this past June 19th, following Cosby's hung trial jury, the conversation between talk show host Ken Eastwood, Lisa Brandt, and Andy Udman seemed to continue under a host of misconceptions about the Cosby case. So following both of them, I will speak to each of the points and arguments made by all of them and point out what the flaw is in each of their arguments, in a summary way. So let's start with the popular misconceptions supported by facts. And here's Tom McConnell pretty much daring anyone to ever support or defend Bill Cosby. So I'll talk about the Cosby, uh, the Cosby accusers and the cover of New York Magazine, and I can't think of another term for it other than it's powerful. And when you read the story inside, it is something. If you were a Cosby backer before, you may want to revisit that position if you after you read that article. Accusations that Bill Cosby was inappropriate, assaulted women, have been around for a while. It was a Canadian woman who had the most high-profile case back in 2005. Andrea Constant worked in the athletic department at Temple University. And um, she alleged to authorities that he gave her something to render her semi-conscious, I guess, and then sexually assaulted her. When her allegations became public, a woman named Tamara Green, who's a California lawyer, came forward and said 30 years earlier, Cosby had done something similar to to her. All in all, 12 women told their stories about being assaulted by Cosby. Cosby gave what's known as a deposition in the case, but it was sealed And because nothing ever went to a court, that the, what was in the deposition was never made public. And so because there are no charges, right? It's just like someone, a police officer, and we talked about a case similar. When an officer isn't charged, we don't make his name public. He's not charged. So you can harass them? You should have been charged. So in Cosby's case, this is um, the you know this is where the law stands. We we don't make that public, and there's a variety of reasons why not. However, last week, a judge unsealed 
um, many of the documents related to the case. A federal judge unsealed the documents. And the New York Times, you know, released portions of the thousand-page transcript Bill Cosby gave over four days ten years ago. Under oath, part of a lawsuit started by Andrea Constand, who who accused him of raping her. The case was settled out of court. We don't know what it was settled for, but it was settled out of court. And we know that Cosby admitted to getting quaaludes to give to women he wanted to have sex with, as well offering payoffs to his accusers. What's interesting is the accusations by the women that have come forward in the last, I don't know, eight months, pretty much matches the deposition. And many of those women were not part of that lawsuit. Many of those women, 30, 35 women are in the New York Magazine story, 46 total accusers. That many of the women, it happened before or after, but it lines up exactly with the other victim stories, but more tellingly, lines up exactly with what Mr. Cosby said he did. That it fits neatly into the story Bill Cosby gives. I got quaaludes and gave them to women. I was drugged by something Mr. Cosby gave me in a drink, and then he sexually assaulted me. It's it's one thing to imagine, and I don't know what the statistics are, but I'm pretty sure it's on the low side of women who falsely accuse men of sexual assault. That for the most part, we ha- we, we, for whatever reason, we don't believe, but we also blame women for setting men up, right? We also blame women, what were you wearing? Were you drinking that night? Why would you go off with him? Didn't you know better? He's like, he can't be helped. He's a man. What was Tom Lawson? We're, men are hardwired. It's like, oh my gosh, we've given men every freaking excuse in the book. Every excuse in the book. Right? It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Couldn't have been the guy's fault. Couldn't have been his fault at all. Had to have been what you're wearing. Or you should have known better. You didn't protect yourself. And in the Cosby case, it's like, what's to defend? So when he slipped the quaalude into your drink, why didn't you immediately spit it out and then run from it? It's like, what? Now, the case about uh, against Cosby started uh, a long time ago, but it really was ignited last October with a comedian in a set in Philadelphia who accused Bill Cosby of being a rapist. And from there, all the old stories have come back. And everything is coalesced. And it is tougher and tougher to find any defenders of Bill Cosby now. Because it would be hard to fathom that 35 women, 46 in total, conspired against Bill Cosby. And in a sealed deposition, matched his story exactly with theirs. That That's getting tough to swallow, isn't it? Andy, it's uh, 
you heard the Bill Cosby um, bit from his 1969 uh, album that we played earlier this morning where he was talking about knocking people out and knocking <laughs> women out and people were laughing. It was, what a what a time. Couldn't believe people were laughing. I mean, I guess Bill Cosby, by definition, is funny, so everything he says is funny, even if it's terrifying. It, 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 I don't know, and I'm not going to try and defend this guy in any way, shape, or form, but it was, it was 1969, so things were different then. I mean, they weren't that different. But let me tell you, for, for, I found a magazine in my dad's stuff on the weekend, and there was a picture of Bobby Orr in an ad, oh. and it's, Bobby Orr says it's a man's world, you know, right. and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Which would probably make him cringe now. Yeah. But times times change. Times do change, but you're right. It was just It was just chilling to listen to, Andy. Well, such a precursor of what it, the life he has led. And, mm. the, you know, sometimes you look at the quote, the, the law is an ass. Well, sometimes the system is an ass. We've got 58 women now who've testified. Their story's all very, very similar against Bill Cosby, and we still can't bring him down. That says a system in failure. Yeah, and you know what? It might say a lot about um, his influence over the jury as well just how many of those jurors just simply could not believe that dr huxtable could do something like this one yeah and that's all it takes that's all it took but you know what that's all it's going to take in a second trial as well that's right that's right and that's why i have always argued and i more uh, vociferously now than ever we should never have a jury system and i've argued with george Cudmore about this in which you have to have all 12 uh, i'm not saying seven would do it but yeah. how about how about 11 or 10, so that you don't give exclusive power to one juror. Like, one juror has total power on, uh, on, the, on the decision. So if you've got one who, who won't uh, cooperate, and, or one who says, in fact, I talked to someone on the weekend who was on a jury, and they had a couple of people who said, I just, I just can't send people to jail. Yeah, well, wow. that, should, that should come out in the, in the jury selection. Yeah. Uh, there should be a question. Could you, if this person is guilty, send them to jail? Yes or no? Yeah. I, I, if you know, I'm on the other side, and and I'm being accused of something. Say I didn't do. I'd like them to argue about it, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, wrestle over it for days. Um, so it it kind of works in that way too. True. It's an important thing. You have to make sure they get justice right. But I agree, though. You should be. You should. That should be job one. Send them to jail if you think they're guilty. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who make it possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived, not just for your listening enjoyment and convenience, but also as a record of our dedication, consistency, and principled approach to the discussion of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. And of course, that's where you'll also find our past broadcasts on the Bill Cosby case. Now here's something funny. I spent, personally, more time researching the stories behind the accusers of Bill Cosby than the 52 hours or so that the hung jury in his recent trial spent on not coming to a unanimous conviction. I figure I'm looking at around 110 hours, possibly, spent on this over the past three years, and many of those hours on the air. The Bill Cosby story is one of those stories that is so complicated and so detailed, given the number of alleged victims of Cosby, that most of the public still does not know about the rest of the story. 
Now, we have on past broadcasts already devoted time to the Cosby issue on 13 separate occasions, with today marking our 14th in the wake of Cosby's recent trial that ended in a hung jury. Cosby's next trial date has already been set for November 6th, that being the retrial, of course, of the one that just ended in a hung jury. So I'm sure that what you just heard from Tom McConnell sounded pretty bad for Bill, and bad for me too, given that by my pursuing and researching the real full stories behind all the facts and accusations, I have of necessity found myself in full agreement with Bill Cosby about his accusers. And let me make one all-encompassing point perfectly clear from the outset, and I've said this before, every single one of my observations and conclusions was based solely on the testimony of Cosby's accusers. Not anything Cosby said, not anything anybody outside those accusers said. You have to hear it for yourself to believe just how far some of these women have gone in their quests to get money out of Bill Cosby. So, you know, I, I went through about 30 of them individually on the show. Some, some you could do four or five in 15 minutes. Others took a single person would take a half hour to explain what happened there. So let's begin with a point-by-point -point response to the seemingly open and shut arguments that we just heard from Tom McConnell. He says Cosby accusers on the cover of New York Magazine. Powerful story inside. If you were a Cosby backer before, you might want to revisit your position. I did revisit my position and came up with the same conclusions. First question, where was Bill Cosby's side of the story in The New Yorker? You know, Cosby was bound by his previous out-of-court settlements not to discuss any of the details of any of the cases in public. The women who were similarly bound, many of them, to the same terms, and who accepted money for do doing so, broke every rule in the book by going public with unsubstantiated criminal claims against a person unable to defend himself in a court of public opinion. I'm not a Cosby backer, by the way. I'm a justice backer, and Cosby here is a victim. Number two. Tom says accusations against Cosby were around for a while. Andrea Constead alleged that Cosby gave her something to render her semi-conscious and then sexually assaulted her. Tamara Green came forward saying that 30 years earlier something similar happened to her and all in all 12 women told their stories about being assaulted by Cosby. End quote. Well, <clears throat> realistically nobody came forward as such. Maybe one or two after hearing about all the fuss. But complainants were actively sought out by leading feminist lawyer Gloria Allred, who has been among the key feminists leading the charge to institute a political anti-concept called affirmative consent. Something we've talked about on this show and in, this, in relationship to this. And although all of the accusations were similar, because Allred had drafted them and stood beside many of the accusers as they were reading their statements, for heaven's sakes. But the stories and circumstances surrounding most of those cases were as different as night and day when I started looking into them. They weren't the same. My Lord, this, uh, some of them were deep relationships. One, some were one-night stands. Some, you know, and, the con and the relationships went on long after these uh, alleged events. Cosby gave a deposition in the Constead case, which was sealed and never made public. No charges were laid. Last week, a judge unsealed documents related to Constead's case. You know, a case settled out of court, by the way. Well, I, I, I've already said I thought that was a criminal act on the part of the judge, and quite openly done for completely political reasons. And if you tune into some of our past shows, I actually read from that transcript, and I didn't get any of the impressions that you're hearing through the media today. 
Quote, Cosby admitted get, getting Qualies to give women he wanted to have sex with. End quote. Yes, he did. Now, does that sound like something someone would say if he believed it was improper or that he believed he did something improper? This is completely being said out of context. Cosby himself, by the way, did not drink, did not do drugs, none of that stuff. Never touched it. But it was always a practice, especially in the 60s. Quaaludes and booze. They went together. They were all legal. The entire context of the Quaalude issue has been lost. And here again, I'm going by what the complainants themselves have said on record about these things. They all use these drugs, and they would mix them with the same frequencies and regularity as they might use alcohol. And with alcohol, too, whose effects combined often created a lot of the conditions that, that you hear about. And then Tom says the accusations by the women who have come forward in the last eight months pretty much matches the deposition and their stories are similar. They line up exactly with what the other women said. Well, that's exactly the thing that got me suspicious. Even people who witness the same accident never report their observations as consistently as all the women's stories were written. And again, their stories are not the same when you look into the past. More tellingly, says Tom, their stories line up exactly with, Co with what Cosby said he did. It fits neatly into the story that Cosby gave, end quote. Well, exactly, and that's why Cosby's telling the truth. You hear this over and over again. It's Cosby who's telling the truth, not the women. In all cases, except where the woman was, like, egregiously lying, the only issue of contention is that of consent, which brings us back to the left wing's intentions to change the definition of that word so that an innocent man can be prosecuted at any woman's say-so. And, and that's what this is crazy thing is all about. Tom cites low stats of women who are falsely accused men of assault. You know, out of the 30-plus accusers I looked into, all of them were lying. And look at Gomeshi. I wasn't expecting that. They were lying and colluding to boot big time, and yet the feminists still came out and defended them. Well, something's going on, yeah. But the issue is always consent, isn't it? And that's why the argument's about consent. That's what's going on in the Cosby courtroom. They're trying to change that definition. And finally, Tom says it's tougher to find any defenders of Bill Cosby now because it's hard to fathom that 35 women, 46 in total, conspired against Bill Cosby and in a sealed death position matched her stories with theirs. It's getting tough to swallow. Well, it was the lawyers who recruited the complainants and many of their stories originated in the tabloids and the lawyers drafted all these similar statements. It's as simple as that. Then on the other side of the bumper, we heard Ken Eastwood, Lisa Brandt, and Andy Udman and they referred to a comedy clip about knocking women out and people were laughing, you know, from 1969. Well, the irony is we played the same clip when this issue first arose years ago. Ken Eastwood correctly pointed out that it was 1969 and things were different. Now, Ken seems to almost have grasped that this is a major factor and relates to the previous comment. Quaaludes were as common as alcohol at the time, and the people who took them took them willingly and consensually from everything I read. Alcohol was also a factor in all of the complainants' cases, and again, the complainants themselves usually asked for the pills or, or, or went to parties where they were available. Lisa points out that uh, she saw, found a picture of Bobby Orr in an ad saying it's a man's world. Well, saying he would cringe now. I don't think so. I think he'd be cringing because today it's a woman's world in the feminized, hyper-fascist environment that they are advocating Udman points to a precursor of the life Cosby led. Fifty-eight women testified against him, and we still can't bring him down. Well, here's what I would say to 
Andy, I would say 58 liars do not constitute a single truth. 58 women did not testify against him. They never made it to a courtroom to testify, nor were they ever subject to any cross-examination, nor did Cosby ever speak in his own defense on any of them, or to any of them, except in subsequent courtroom countersuits, which you don't hear about. Eastwood points out, only takes one juror to exonerate him. A second trial would be the same. But actually, there were two jurors who disagreed with the majority, so I suppose the next time the lefties get together for a chat about the system, they'll have to lower the number, you know, to get their predetermined conviction. You know, how about 11 people instead of 12? To call for a system that predetermines the result that one wants, I think, is disgusting. Majorities do not determine truth or science. It only takes one person with the facts to disprove a million who have limited information given to them and, and you know, from whom extraordinary information is kept. Now, again, I'm not here to defend Bill Cosby. I'm here to defend and express the truth as I've discovered it. Disagree with me if you want. If you find something different, please tell me about it. And I'm telling you, what I found does not coincide with the popular narrative. For me, this has been the great learning experience of just how far out, you know, how far our so-called fourth estate has fallen in terms of bringing us the facts and the truth. Not just the selected accusations. And, and to even attempting to tell the story, they don't do it. Cosby used to beg. This is going back to the whole thing with the National Enquirer, 2005. He would beg them to look into the backgrounds of these stories, Check the facts. He kept telling them over and over again. They never did. That's when the problem started. Moreover, it was glaring evidence that the media is in complete support of the leftist fascists who are promoting the anti-concept of affirmative consent for their socialist ends. So it prepared me for what was to follow regarding Donald Trump. Now consider the systemic injustice of a system that prevents any discussion of the relevant, relevant past actions of the accusers while bringing up everything irrelevant about Cosby's past affairs and activities, none of which have anything to do with proving his guilt. So the Constead case, which ended in a hung jury this past June, was not a criminal trial, but a political one, as I have argued over no fewer than 13 past broadcasts, and I still maintain that Bill Cosby has been the victim of a great injustice. Mr. Cosby, how do you feel? Mr. Cosby, do you feel? Mr. Cosby, how do you think? Mr. Cosby. Any comment, Mr. Cosby? Okay. Uh, Tom, please. Mr. Cosby, you have a Turn perfect outline. How do you feel? Please go, Tom. Go, Tom. All right, everyone. We want to get the attorneys out the ring. Uh, right now, I am going to introduce my associate with Purpose PR firm. She's going to read a signed statement from Mrs. Camille Cosby. How do I describe the district attorney? Heinously and exploitively ambitious. How do I describe the judge? Overtly arrogant and collaborating with the district attorney. How do I describe the counsels for the accusers? Totally unethical. How do I describe many, but not all, general media? Blatantly vicious entities that continually disseminated intentional omissions of truth for the primary purpose of greedily selling sensationalism at the expense of a human life. Historically, people have challenged injustices. I am grateful to any of the jurors who tenaciously fought to review the evidence, which is the rightful way to make a sound decision. Ultimately, that is a manifestation of justice based on facts, not lies. As a very special friend once stated, 
Truth can be subdued, but not destroyed. What a show tonight. If you just joined us, we're here with Happy Kind and the Mirth Makers over there. My co-host, Mr. Jerry Hubbard, uh, two children, and this fellow. Um, <laughs> and here's time for actually a very special time on Firmwood tonight. From time to time, we invite the public on the show, plain, simple folks like yourselves, to come on and air your differences in a mature manner. We will then let our audience be the jury and vote on the issue at hand. If you have a beef with someone you hate, and, and the two of you can't work it out, maybe you should call us and try to, try to get on Bury the Hatchet. There's a problem here, but we're gonna patch it, cause now's the time to bury the hatchet. Good evening. Evening. Hello. To my left is Betty Froelich? Froelich. Froelich, yes. okay. And to my right is her 16-year-old daughter, Sandy Froelich, right? A frolic. Frank. <laughs> okay, Sandy, uh, why don't you start by uh, just telling us your side of it? Uh, well, the problem is that my mother doesn't trust me. It's important for me to be trusted by my parents. Mm -hmm. But just because she has such a suspicious mind, she makes up these impossible rules for me to live by. Okay, now what, what rules would those be? For instance, she won't let me go out with any guy who drives a van. Uh, is it true that you have no trust at all in Sandy's morals? I trust her when she's up in her room studying algebra. In the room? <laughs> but trust in your room and lust in a van are two different, two different things. things. No question about it. And those are not vans. They are beds on wheels, my friend. The doors are jammed shut. If there are any windows, the curtains are always tied tight. Some of them even have water beds, stereo music, a bar. Those guys are driving around a four-wheel motel room, and I don't want my young daughter in the back of one of those things. <laughs> I can see your point. I wonder if they're available here in town, any merchants. Mom, I admit you can get in trouble in a van if you're that kind of person, but if I wanted to get in trouble, I could do it anywhere. I have the same morals whether I'm in a van or whether I'm in church. Could it be maybe that you're just a little bit jealous? Maybe because, uh, well, you and uh, your husband, I'm sure you're legally married, uh, you had to, uh, to do your making out, I guess the word I'm looking for, in a rowboat. If I was in a rowboat, at least we were rowing. Okay. I've seen Sandy's girlfriend, her name is Jenny get into a van with her boyfriend in front of the house and it didn't move for four hours. <laughs> well, maybe they were just trying to save gas, Mom. Mm -hmm. You gotta be uh, brought a new meaning to the uh, term fun trucking. <laughs> oh, that's one for Barth. <laughs> sure that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I know you're serious. I happen to know that all they were doing was sitting there and listening to the Rolling Stones. I know that for a fact. Okay, uh, can you tell us um, more about that waterbed in the back? That's, that's really what's uh, interesting. Well, I saw it. I saw it plain as day, and let me tell you, that's dangerous. Somebody rear-ends you, your daughter could wash up on the dashboard. No! Uh, you do not approve of your daughter dating guys with vans, is that correct? No. Okay, and Sandy here... You're a little upset uh, that your mother doesn't really have the kind of faith in you that uh, you wish she had, and she doesn't really believe in you. So I think right now it's time for 
us to bury the hatchet here and let our audience decide. Mother and daughter both promised to abide by your decision, audience, so what'll it be? All those in favor of the ban on the van, please applaud. You must work in a rather small office. Um, I'm a now, homemaker. I have no doubt. Um, now, all of those in favor of Sandy being trusted, like any normal 16-year-old who simply wants to respect... Well, it's close. Um, <laughs> do we need to go once more? We're all right? Yeah, that's close all right. <laughs> that was from the comedy television series Fernwood Tonight, featuring Martin Mull as Garth Gimble and his audience as the court of public opinion. A lot of similarities and parallels in that comedy skit with what's going on today in our courtrooms. You know, that's the place where the feminists would like all sexual assault cases to be adjudicated if it were up to them. And I think... After the trial, Mrs. Cosby hit the nail right on the head when she issued her statement summarizing much of what we've already illustrated and documented. How do I describe many, but not all, general media, blatantly vicious entities that continually disseminated intentional omissions of truth for the primary purpose of greedily selling sensationalism at the expense of a human life? This is all very true. I totally agree with her. I don't know about you, but one does not often hear statements of this nature being, you know, being made following a criminal trial. And this was not just a blind outburst reasserting Cosby's innocence or anything like that. It was a direct attack on his accusers and on the system that would allow it to happen. And it was extraordinarily measured and focused. You know, how do I describe many, but not all, general media? That's a distinction that somebody took time to think of. Maybe they, they were listening to us. Intentional omissions of truth is a perfect way of defining what the media did and it continues to keep doing. It seems to be whenever there's a fake, you know, leftist, unreal, unjust agenda to push. Cosby declares victory after mistrial. A wife says judge colluded with prosecutors, reads the headline of the National Post on June 19th. By sowing doubt among one or one or more jurors, Cosby's lawyers managed to overcome two years of unrelenting bad publicity for their client after the public release of his damaging testimony about drugs and sex, as well as a barrage of accusations from 60 women who came forward to accuse him of sexual assault. But here's something that's in the article that really disturbed me. Quote, but it was Cosby's reputation as a public moralist who urged young people to pull up their saggy pants and start acting responsibly that prompted a federal judge to unseal portions of an explosive deposition he gave more than a decade ago as part of Constad's civil lawsuit against him. That's shocking. I've already spoken out against that. The very notion of unsealing a private deposition in a case involving the guilt or innocent of the accused based on the accused reputation as a public moralist. If that isn't political, I really don't know what is. This is pure politics. From the left targeted against the right. Consider the mentality and prejudice behind a system that says nothing about the women's past is relevant to what they're accusing Cosby of, while everything about Cosby's past is relevant. Now here's something that's 
very disturbing. This was from the Associated Press on June 14th. Quote, outside the courthouse, Constad's lawyers blasted the Cosby team Tuesday for releasing a statement from a woman who had been blocked from testifying. Cosby spokesman Andrew Wyatt read the statement from longtime Temple University official Marguerite Jackson, who said Constan told her of a plan to falsely accuse a, quote, high-profile person, end quote, of sexual assault so that she could sue and get money. Jackson said Constad told her she'd been drugged and molested. She said the Temple basketball director immediately recanted, then said she could fake a false accusation, win a lawsuit, and use the money to go to school and open a business, end quote. <laughs> Seriously. And I ran into stuff like this talking you know, in some of the other stories. It's just a tip of an iceberg of injustice that we've uncovered surrounding each of the Bill Cosby accusers that we investigated. And we actually read portions of the Constad uh, testimony. The feminist objective of insisting that we, society, and the police have to take, quote, allegations of sexual assault more seriously, end quote, is their euphemism to permit libel and slander in public without consequences, citing the court of public opinion as the proper place to adjudicate such matters. So if Andrea Constad wins her case against Cosby in the upcoming retrial, which sounds like it's being fixed to pick a jury that will find him guilty, then the victory, I'm telling you right now, will be a political one. And justice for all men will have suffered a great blow, which is not good for women either. Now, I'm sure I've left a lot of details and other significant observations that we covered before out of our discussion today, but the purpose of my message for today was just to keep up the warning about what you hear in the media, that it has its own unstated agenda and pretends to be objective and to give us facts. Yes, facts are important, but they never tell the story. That requires a narrative that's consistent with far more than just a few isolated and out-of-context facts. Now, if I were to count all the false facts that I myself have uncovered and have been and continue <laughs> to be reported by the establishment media on the Cosby case alone, in the same way that they all count you know, Donald Trump's lies, <laughs> well, then the media would be the clear lying champion all around. I stopped looking into the accusations and accusers after investigating 30-some accusers. It's all the same MO, the same BS, different stories, same objectives. The Cosby trial and all of the accusations as they were orchestrated over the past years are all a distraction to keep our attention off the real objective, affirmative consent, and the systemic injustice it will wreak upon the male sex, and that's where all of the facts and testimonies I've read so far have led me. So lesson learned, even in this incredible age of social media and media sources that are readily available, you can still, still fool most of the people most of the time. And I don't think that'll ever change because most people want to be fooled when they're being fooled affirms what they already believe and want to believe. But for those of you who don't relish the idea of being fooled again, be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Okay, it looks like the uh, winner here is Sandra, Mrs. Frelick. Frelick. <laughs> <laughs>
Mm-hmm. Okay. Do please don't feel bad. You may have lost the battle, but you certainly haven't lost the war, and you're not going to go away empty-handed. Uh, our own Jerry Hubbard has some lovely gifts for you. Jerry, what do we have for Mrs. Freilich Freilich? That's right, Mrs. Freilich. We have some lovely parting gifts for you from Alvy's Patio Shop. A set of barbecue mitts, each with a funny saying from W.C. Fields. Yours from Alvy's Patio Shop, where their motto is, if you don't buy it here, you'll have to drive to Cleveland. <laughs> So you can see all's well that ends well, and I think you're good friends now. We'll be right back after these words.